0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you're using the Bible that's provided in the P-Rack in front of you, that is on page 762. 762. And I'm going to take a drink of water real quick. I took a drink as we started singing In Christ Alone, and it went down the wrong pipe, and I started coughing over here. I tell you, man. When you're the guy who recently had COVID and you start coughing, you kind of think all eyes are you. And uh, I assure you, I've followed the protocols, the guidelines. I don't have it anymore. No longer would be contagious. So, just water going down the wrong pipe. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, as we open your word... As we open your word, we do so with desperation, but also with certainty. Desperation in that your word is life. We need it as your people, we need your word. To minister to us. To not depart from us. And yet we also pray this with hope, with certainty. Knowing that you have promised to minister to your people by your word. So we come to you and we ask that you would do this now. Meet each of us where we are. Not where we want other people to think we are. But where we are. And meet us in gracious might and sweet mercies. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What would you want in your bomb shelter? pleasant question to start the sermon, right? I wasn't around in the 60s, but I've heard stories of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I've heard stories of families stocking up, children doing exercises or drills at school where they would hide under their desks as if that would protect them from a nuclear bomb. I've seen pictures of old bomb shelters that people would have, stocked with food, basic necessities, and yet something that always stuck out to me was a radio. For those of you that are younger, radios are, well, never mind, the radio so that you can hear news from the outside world. Perhaps hear a word of hope. I doubt any of us are building bomb shelters today. Not because of the cold, but because we don't feel like we need them. And yet, for the fact that we may not be physically building them, in one sense, all of us try to prepare ourselves for when we need some form of comfort. What I want to hold up for you from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1-11 through 11 today, and I ask you, what are you going to put in your bomb shelter? What I want to hold up before you is that the thing that we need to pack is God's glory. God's glory is our supreme comfort. Let me say that again. God's glory is our supreme comfort. You're going to see this in Isaiah 40. Now, as we enter Isaiah 40, it's important to get our bearings. There's something fascinating about where we are in the book of Isaiah, which we've been journeying more than not, through the book of Isaiah over the course of almost the last year. Isaiah has 66 chapters, and we paused before Christmas at the end of chapter 39, and now we're re-entering in chapter 40 after a few weeks elsewhere. And we're entering into a unique section of the book. A natural break happens between chapter 39 and chapter 40. Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 are the words of God through his prophet Isaiah to Isaiah's own generation. About 700 BC. To his people, the people of Judah, to his world, to his day, this was a message, chapters 1 through 39, of gracious confrontation over Judah's woeful spiritual decline, which was manifested in their lack of faith in God, in their empty religiosity, in their pridefulness. So sadly, Isaiah 39 ends with a prophecy that the people of Judah, Isaiah, his own people, his countrymen, his, his, his kinsmen, soon to come they would be taken captive and exiled, forcibly removed from their homeland, from Judah, by the Babylonian superpower. Now history tells us that this prophecy would come to fruition about 100 years later. In 586 BC. So these words in Isaiah 40 to 66 almost serve as words to be written down, to be taken to the bomb shelter for when that captivity comes. They would have to be carefully heard, recorded, called back upon, that generations down the road may have them. And in God's goodness, in His kindness, Isaiah 40 to 55 addresses Isaiah's Jewish brethren in their exile. And then Isaiah 56 to 66 seems intended to stretch to the furthest reaches of the earth, to the furthest reaches of time, even to you and me today, as God helps us to take these promises and these truths that we have seen throughout the book of Isaiah and to apply them. To our day. But that will be for chapters 56 to 66. For our purposes today in Isaiah forty-one through 11. If we are going to apply this soundly. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of those who are receiving it. Imagine yourself working hard labor. Ripped away from your home. Your tears over the home country that you once heard of. They are your food day and night. Loved ones that you were once near to. Are back home and you have been pulled away. And these words of Isaiah 40. They are like a furnace that has begun to rumble to life. In a cold winter night of the soul. A voice of mercy, perhaps long thought departed, is heard again. Look at verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Where do you need comfort today? Do you carry shame and sorrow over gross sin that you have committed a week ago or a lifetime ago? Does your heart carry the imprint, perhaps, of hope once held, childlike wonder once enjoyed? But that's all it is. A memory. That hope, that wonder, That once occupied much of your heart, it now is just a vacant lot, a distant memory of years of old to your tired heart. Oh, that God would give us the grace of hearing these words of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, what? That her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. God has given the charge to comfort his people after over a hundred years of exile. He commissions three voices to send messages to his people. You can see that broken down if you're looking at all of chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. You see chapter, broken down in verses 3 through 5, 6 through 8, and now 9 through 11. So we see comfort and glory. The people of God comforted by the glory of God. And first we see this in verses 3 through 5. We see comfort through God's glory in our repentance. Comfort through God's glory in our repentance. Now, glory can be an ambiguous term. Liam Gallagher defines God's glory as a created manifestation of. Of the uncreated God. So we generally think God is up there. He's out there. He's uncreated. But when I, but what I would argue for you is that when I feel His love. When my heart is at peace. Aware of His goodness. When I sing of the wonders of His grace. That's experiencing a manifestation Of the uncreated God. That is bringing glory to Him. That is something that tangibly I grab hold of. As I think of the uncreated God. So according to Isaiah. One way that I see. That I taste. That I know. That I experience God. Is through repentance over my sin. Look at verses 3-5. through The first voice that has been commissioned out. Now this imagery, make make straight in the desert a highway, valleys lifted up, mountains put down, this can be difficult imagery to understand. But here's what God is saying to his people exiled in Babylon. He's saying to them, your circumstances are a wreck. Your life is in shambles. And you have brought this upon yourself. And your dismissal of my authority over you and your empty religiosity and your failure to humble yourself under my word. But he says, I open wide my arms of comfort, but the road home is paved with repentance. Similar to glory, repentance is the kind of term that we may use regularly, but some of us may have differing understandings of what it means. Think of repentance by three C's. Conviction, confession, and correction. Conviction is the awareness, that inner awareness, uh, that sense of contrition over the wrongness of my sin. Confession is bringing this sin to light, confessing it before God, sharing it with others that we need to confess it to. And correction is taking the steps needed to address the right, or to address and right the wrongs of our sin. Repentance has a vertical and a horizontal dimension. So we feel the conviction of God over our sin. We confess it to God and we bring correction as needed in reliance upon his strength and in reliance upon his mercy. But there's a horizontal element in the life of the church together. We don't confess all our sins to one another. They are far too numerous. Yet we do take seriously our responsibility To walk with one another in repentance as needed. Confession when we have sinned against one another. And correction. Helping one another to grow in light of this sin. To apply to minister the balm of the gospel to our souls. It's no mistake that this language of verses 3 and 4, you know, making straight in the desert a highway, valleys lifted up, mountains and hills made low, that that this, this language sounds so difficult humbling oneself before God and bringing your sinfulness against Him into the light might seem as difficult as lifting up a valley or ripping down a mountain. Sadly, it's far too common for us to expect or even demand God's power and His presence in our lives while we refuse to prepare the way for Him as Isaiah has laid out. You might recognize these words of the prophet Isaiah in verses 3 and 4, as they were later quoted and applied by John the Baptist in the days of Jesus. John was preaching to an audience that considered themselves to be spiritually fine. Their lives had all the appearances of godly living, but they were actually far from the Lord. And what John the Baptist was doing was he was preparing them for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we find that our repentance is met with abundant grace and precious mercy to the point where this becomes a real life taste of the goodness of God for our sinful souls. The way to Christ, the road to Christ, is a road of repentance. He is lifted high, His arms are open wide, and the way to Him is through confession contrition, and correction. You can know God's comfort through the glory of Christ. Or you can stubbornly hold to your glory refusing to travel the road of repentance and you can know His condemnation. This is what the people of Judah needed to hear. And this is what we need to hear. As a church family, we have a responsibility to help build these highways, to help lift these valleys, to help lower these mountains. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote of two kinds of church communities. He wrote of the pious fellowship and the fellowship of sinners. The Pious Fellowship participates in corporate worship and prayer and service and spiritual conversations, but this Pious Fellowship is shocked when a, quote, real sinner is found to be in their midst. We speak of our sin vaguely. We talk of the work of God's word in a distant manner as if it's an academic exercise without recognizing that rightly applied, it is going to expose our sin and transform our souls and we will need one another to be on the highway crew paving the road. According to one commentator on, on these words of Bonhoeffer, in the fellowship of sinners, this is a people who are, not, who are not marked only by striving towards worshiping God, but also by radical honesty about one's sins and struggles. It is a community that practices deep confession and frequent repentance and celebrates God's forgiving grace. And so remember how I have tied these two elements, comfort and glory. Remember how I've tied them together? Our comfort and is, 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 enjoy, is experienced by seeing God's glory. Here's how this happens in our repentance. So verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. But now look at verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Doesn't that sound precious? We don't need great manifestations of God's power in healing us of sicknesses or of illnesses. We don't need great manifestations of God's power in providing us with great jobs or even increasing our physical number who are gathered together as a church. We can pray for these. We can pray for His glory in these, but... If we look at Isaiah 40, a great manifestation of God's power in our midst will be the church body that is serious about her sin and doggedly determined to help one another to see God's glory as Christ is lifted high as the one who has atoned for our sin and the one to whom we can come for mercy and drink from the fountain of his blood shed for us. You remember when we used to go to movies before COVID? I remember I would go to movies as a teenager with my friends and we would always, we, we, would, we would go to like the new movie that was coming out. The Friday it was coming out and, and, and we'd have our tickets and sometimes we would have to buy tickets ahead of time because it was selling out and we would go to the movie and, and we'd be waiting in the lobby, waiting on a previous showing to end and then to get the movie theater cleaned out and then we would go in and watch it. And I remember always trying to gauge the reactions of people that were coming out of the theater having just seen it as to how good the movie was going to be. Just like that would be a foolish way to watch a movie or to get an idea of what was true and right and good and honest about a movie? Don't base your understanding of Christianity based upon what you perceive to be or hear to be the experiences of those who are in it. If you've been around Christianity but you've never repented of your sin and come to God through Christ and His finished work, I would love to speak with you after our service and share with you more about how you can become a follower of Jesus and see the glory of God as a comfort for your soul. So we see that we come to comfort. We know comfort through God's glory in our repentance. But now we have another voice that is commissioned out to comfort the people of God. Secondly, we see comfort through the glory of God's word. In verses six through eight, we have a form of a a general illustration and then a specific explanation. Verse six begins, a voice says, here's the second voice, right? Cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord flows on it. So that's the general illustration. And now here's the specific application. The general illustration of the brevity of life, and how this is even shaped by God who sovereignly rules over us. And now we have specific explanation for us as the people of God. The second part of verse 7 and then verse 8. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. The glory of God that Judah needed to see was God's word unconquerable standing athwart as the driving force in and over all of His creation even as they had been exiled for generations. Have you ever thought of the majesty and the scope and the power of the Word of God? Genesis 1 tells us that it is by His Word that God spoke creation into existence. He told Mount Everest how high it could go. Not an inch higher, not an inch lower. He spoke the number of feathers on a bird. He spoke the number of grain of sand on a seashore. He spoke creation into existence in Genesis 1, but then it is also by the word of His power that He upholds the universe, as Hebrews 1.3 tells us. In addition, it is by his word that he brings new birth to the spiritually dead, as has happened with many of us who are gathered here. We once were spiritually dead in our sins, but God has spoken supernaturally new life into our souls. And it is by his word that he builds his church with his power. So that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We need this in our day. And the people of Judah, exiled from their homes, seemingly adrift in a sea of desperation and of not knowing where to turn, they needed it too. God's Word grounds us in ultimate reality week by week by week by week as the people of God. This is why each week we hear the reading of God's Word. Each week we sit under the preaching of god's word. god 's word god's Word reveals to us our God who has spoken and who has revealed himself to us by His word. May I urge you be careful how you listen to god's word. Listening is work. Prepare yourselves ahead of time, read through and pray that God would give that He would grant illumination to your mind to your heart as you receive god's word, and pray this not only for yourself but pray this for our church family as well. And may we all be humbled under God's Word. We wither, we fade while the Word of our God stands forever. But if we will not humble ourselves under His Word, we reveal that we think we stand forever while we say that the Word of our God withers and fades. The new year naturally affords us with the opportunity to recalibrate and reconsider our goals, our plans, our hope for a new year. You might have resolutions to eat healthier, to exercise, to go to bed at a better hour. All good resolutions. But allow Isaiah 40 to shape how you understand yourself and your Bible. Exercise is good. But remember, the grass withers and the flower fades. Strengthen your body, yes, but for all that you do to strengthen your body, resolve that you will do all the more to strengthen your soul through God's word. I've had the opportunity to travel to other parts of the world where following Christ, where being a Christian is punishable by arrest, by imprisonment, by even death. Possessing a Bible can be a crime that invites years or even decades of hard labor in government-run prison camps. Yet I've sat in rooms with Christians who have not been able to have full copies of the Bible translated into their native language, but they've had little excerpts of it. And at great risk to themselves, they would keep these little excerpts, like sewn into their winter coat so they could take it out after they passed by government authorities. Or one Christian might have one small part of the Bible sewn into their sleeve, and another might have another one in their jacket or in their backpack, and they would bring them all together in the gathering of the church. They don't do this as an act of defiance against their governments. They do it because they know their souls need the word of God. Help us, O oh God, to be a church of people serious about your word, serious about the life everlasting that is found in the word of our God that stands forever. Now, if you're thinking, okay, what's the big deal about the Bible? I try to read it. It's boring. I try to read it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Not sure where to turn with it. I want to ask you to give careful thought to this. We can look at fashion tastes, we can read headlines from days of old. It was strange to me as a child, as a teenager, to read about the Cuban Missile Crisis and see people building bomb shelters. It was a foreign, that was a different world to me. Times change. Politics change. Current events change. Nations rise and they fall. Not to mention, we gain wrinkles on our faces. The steady passage of time reveals to us that we are, in fact, fading and withering. But don't take my word for the fact that time marches on. How many times last month did you start a conversation with somebody? I can't believe it's already Christmas. We all say it. We all know it. Time is a relentless roller coaster that we are riding on and sometimes it is cruel while sometimes it is more calm and peaceful. And do you recognize that the Bible is affirming this cry of hearts? This question of our hearts about the marching on of time? The unending changing of the calendar while affirming that the element of our hearts that wants to pull the emergency brake, there's something to it. Where is the world going? Where are my days going? How much time do I have left? You want to understand those questions? Dive in and see the God who rules over time and who has our days in the palm of his hand. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Forever. This week I came face to face, had to and and trying to, and you can pray for me even more to come to grips with laziness that I have towards the Bible sometimes. Far too often in my life, the Bible does not seem as interesting as the Netflix show that I'm binging. The Bible doesn't seem as interesting as the ball game I'm consumed by. The Bible doesn't seem as interesting as the latest big event in the news that's trying to rile me up and get me worked up. Now make no mistake, sports, Netflix, these are good gifts. They, they, they are good gifts from our leisure, for our leisure. The Bible tells us that all good gifts come from God. From the Father of lights above, as James describes it. I'm not advocating here an entirely monastic lifestyle, pushing and pulling away from everything and only reading the Bible all day, every day. May God give us the grace of knowing where our hearts are. Knowing where our hearts need to be towards His Word. God, have mercy on us to desire Your Word, to find that in Your Word we find You. And may I show you what we find in our Bibles that is absolutely stunning? The Word of our God. The Word of our God. You think of our words. Our words are our expression. They are our communication. They communicate ourselves. In our Bibles, we find the Word of God who took on flesh. We find Jesus Christ Himself, God embodied. As John 1 tells us, the Word became flesh. We trifle around and we tinker around seeing things that have a level of glory that our hearts might find joy in them. But we find the bedrock of all glory in Jesus Christ Himself, the Word made flesh. Beholding Jesus in the Word of God, beholding Him is our comfort. We do not numb ourselves with, 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 from the pain of what we're walking through with another endless binge on Netflix. But we are comforted by seeing the glory of the Word made flesh. Revealed in our Bibles. He took on flesh. He bore a life that was marked by the pain of the passage of time and even the loss of his own life. But by the power of God the Father, he was resurrected. And get this by the same power of God, your life that withers and fades. When you are resurrected, if Jesus does not return for his church before then, when you are resurrected after your death, and when he raises all who are his, For eternity, you and I will be sustained by the word of the Lord. See how these words of comfort are born of beholding the word of God, the glory of God. So we've got two voices here. A voice saying, do what must be done in pursuing repentance Humble your heart, put it down, and cast yourself upon the mercy of God. And a voice saying, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Take refuge in its shadow. And find comfort. Now the third voice is a little different. We find actually that we are the third voice. And we find comfort that we proclaim and glory that we enjoy. I think what we see in verses 9-11, through 11 is God doesn't commission out another voice to come speak to His people. He commissions His people to proclaim this comfort to their neighbors who desperately must hear it. Look at verse 9. God tells them, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. I love the imagery that we see here. Go up to a high mountain. Lift your voice with strength. What do you say though to those who are desperately in need of comfort? Your neighbors whose lives are wrecked by sorrow. Maybe they've received the medical news that has brought the fragility of life right to their home. They don't need to be told the grass withers the flower fades. It has been told to them clearly at the doctor's office. What do you say to your spouse or to your child or to your friend who is uncomfortable in the very skin of their body, in in their own flesh? They even hate it and they hate themselves. They long for comfort. Look at the rest of verse 9 and verse 10 and 11. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is our tender yet mighty God. He meets every moment that our weaknesses and trials demand of Him. In life, we try to find our way out of our problems, out of our heartache, out of our confusion. We try to find our way by looking through, by looking in the mirror and saying, what can I fix about myself? What can I do? What Isaiah 40 is doing is it's calling us to leave that hall of mirrors that we are continually meandering through, trying to find comfort. And come look out the window. And see one who is infinitely greater than we are. And get lost in Him. C.S. Lewis talked about how praise to our God, who is greater than us, is our greatest need. He writes, and I'm quoting now from Lewis, The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their lovers, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising their countryside, players praising their favorite game. There's praise of weather, wine, dish, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical persons, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. As human beings, we are not a people who do not praise, we are a people who have to learn where to focus our praise. What Isaiah holds out before us is to take whatever it is we need comfort from our feelings of unease, our feelings of depression, our feelings of pain, our feelings of shame, of sadness, of guilt, whatever it is, recognize that our God does not meet us with an uncomfortable one size fits all band aid. He meets us with particular, specific mercy for every specific need we bear. Behold your God the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young behold your God behold your God dear Christian who set you apart before the foundations of the earth were laid He set you apart that you may receive new birth through His sovereign grace. Behold your God. Behold your God, dear Christian. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who has come in meekness and who has been raised from dead by the might of God the Father. Behold your God. Behold your God, dear Christian, who keeps record of every injustice, God who keeps record of every wrong committed and He promises to settle accounts one day. And Take heart that He promises to avenge those who wreak wrath and malice upon the vulnerable, upon the helpless, and upon His people as well. Behold your God. Behold your God, dear Christian, who lifts you up with your personality quirks and your interpersonal relationship difficulties. God understands you, he knows you, he loves you, and he will gather you in his arms, dear one. Behold your God. Behold your God, dear Christian, as you worry about the future and fear only seems to multiply in your heart. Your God will carry and gently supply you with all that you need in him. Behold your God, behold your God, dear Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is right now mercifully shepherding his church and who promises to return for his people one day. Behold your God, behold your God, dear Christian, you will, we will surround the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing in the limitless grace that we have received. And day by day, moment by moment, grace on top of grace, all today and all for eternity with your name stamped on on it and all of it secured and certain by his word that stands forever. And as you behold your God as we behold our God, let us take Isaiah forty one through eleven to heart. This is a dynamite blueprint for our church together, the fellowship of the repentant. Willingness to own our sins because the Lord Jesus has taken joyful ownership of us and of our sins. The responsibility to lift high the word of God in our midst, doing the work of hoping in God's unchangeable faithfulness together and comforting one another and those around us with nothing less than the glory of God, leading them to know that there is a God who is worthy of their praise. There is not just a God who created the beautiful sunrise and the beautiful sunset, but a God who is worthy of the praise that is far greater than we could give that sunrise and sunset. He is doing the work in our midst, leading us out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. What are you going to pack? in your bomb shelter for when you need comfort. May I encourage you, pack nothing less than the glory of God. The glory of God is our supreme comfort. Let's pray. God, you are our comfort, you are our prize, you are our reward. Would you help us to rejoice in your glory as revealed in the word made flesh Jesus Christ and as found through his cross and as known through his present reign his mediating power and your spirit's work within us Lord the glory of God your glory is our comfort I pray as the pastor of this dear congregation, you would be our comfort. Help us to be content in your glory, but help us to never be resigned to not pursuing your glory. Help us to drink the water of life everlasting. The glory of God is our supreme comfort. We pray this through our supreme Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.